Men call him Doctor Strange. Never have you known his like. It is with great pleasure and privilege for the editors of Strange Tales to present, quietly and without fanfare, the first in a new series based upon a different kind of superhero, Doctor Strange, Master of Black Magic. That's the opening to Strange Tales number 110, the first appearance of Dr. Stephen Strange, master of the mystic arts, sorcerer supreme, possessor of oaths and mystic hands. Uh, my name is Conrad, and welcome to the first episode of Stranger by the Dozen, a weekly podcast where we'll recap the adventures of the good doctor, 12 issues at a time. Before we get to the recaps, I'd like to introduce myself and go a little more in-depth into the premise and reasoning for this show, as well as my own experience with Doctor Strange. I've been a fan of Doctor Strange for a while, and was really excited when the trailer for the new movie starring Benedict Cumberbatch, Tilda Swinton, and Chiwetel Ejiofor came out. I was then really bummed out when discussing the character of several of my friends, and most of them didn't really know who Doctor Strange was, or even what his general powers or backstory is. I wanted to share my experience with a character I really enjoy, so I created this podcast to try to break this character's 53-year history into manageable chunks to show what's cool about this character and what he means for the world of comics. While I've read my share of comics over the years, I first became interested in Doctor Strange around 2006 when I was reading a list in the Onions AV Club rating the top 10 issues of the Marvel Essentials series. Uh, if you don't know what the Essential Marvel is, it's a series of collections of vintage Marvel comics. They're printed on black and white newsprint, which allows them to include a bunch of issues in each collection while still being relatively inexpensive. Here's how the Onions AV Club describes the volume. Moore, Stanley, and Steve Ditko, this time working together on the adventures of a serene mystic who works behind the scenes to keep extra-dimensional demons at bay. The character resonated with many 60s teens who identified with Doctor Strange's spiritual quest, as well as the metaphorical implications of his shadow realm, so like and yet unlike the all-encompassing domain of the men in gray flannel suits. Lee and Ditko's Doctor Strange stories are still enjoyable today because of Lee's faux arcane lingo by the hoary hosts of Hogoth and Ditko's surreal dreamscapes, which are as brain-bending as anything by comics premier visionaries of the interior, George Harriman and Victor Moscoso. Something about the description really gripped me, and I quickly bought the first volume of The Essential Doctor Strange and promptly devoured it. As the AV Club said, I thought the art was great and the dialogue was a lot of fun, and Strange soon became my favorite superhero. There are a couple key things I like about Doctor Strange. He's not just a man on the street. Strange travels through dimensions and planes of existence to be a superhero. He uses his powers against demons and gods and other beings human minds can't normally comprehend. This is a stark difference from other superheroes who may be extremely powerful, but still spend most of their time taking out muggers, jewel thieves, and the like. Two, he's part of a larger mytholo mythology, the Vashanti, the hoary host of Hogoth, Dread Dormammu. Like I said, Doctor Strange engages with gods and monsters that excite the imagination and transport us to new worlds. As we'll see in one of our issues this week, even random furnishings in Doctor Strange's Sanctum Sanctorum can contain a whole universe full of deadly foes. Three is that he's a grown-up. Uh, this might seem like a minor point, but as I get older, I'm more interested in characters like Stephen Strange, who's on a second career and has seen a lot of life, as opposed to another random teenager. And just the general language of the writing. There's a Defenders graphic novel from 2004 where everyone keeps making fun of Strange for the supercilious ways he talks. But if you don't read a few issues and start swearing by the moons of Munapur or the Wand of Watum or Omnipotent Ashtar, you're missing out on the fun. 
And finally, uh, he's a great hipster choice. Listen, the fact is that to be cool, you want your fave to be recognizable, but not too famous. It's not cool if your favorite character is Spider-Man or Wolverine. Everybody likes those guys. Nor is it cool to like some characters first appearance was a month ago. They might not have staying power. You want someone like Doctor Strange, who's managed to stay around for 50 years, but mainly sticks to the sidelines of popularity, occasionally having his own book and sometimes making guest appearances in other books, but never really front and center. At least until this movie comes out, Doctor Strange is a great hipster hero. Anyway, let's get to the comics. Or, well, first let me talk quickly about what we will and won't be looking at in these comics, and what's going to be going on with Doctor Strange as we begin our journey. Uh, First of all, we're mostly going to be looking at main continuity, canonical, Marvel 616 Doctor Strange. This means we won't initially be dealing with the Ultimate Universe, Marvel 1602, the J. Michael Straczynski reimagining, or any other such thing. Uh, I don't want to say we'll never cover these things, but at the moment, they're a bit out of our purview, as are the movie and TV versions of Strange, including the 2007 animated movie and the 1978 live-action TV movie. Additionally, we'll be going forward mostly by publication date instead of straight chronology. There's a lot of stuff out there imagining the early years of Strange's life. It's been recounted and retconned extensively over the last 50 years. Rather than try to parse all of that, we'll try to stick to release dates and check out the newer versions of history as they occur. That means we'll be starting at the real beginning, July 10th, 1963, in the pages of Strange Tales number 110. Strange Tales is an anthology comic. It had mostly been horror or monster stories until number 100, when it was switched to multi-part stories about the human torch of the Fantastic Four. In issue 110, Doctor Strange joins the magazines for two issues, then becoming a regular in issue 114. The general way it works is that the first half or three-quarters the book will be Johnny Storm dealing with either previously de- with a previously defeated Fantastic Four villain or a member of his own rogues gallery who are generally recognizable because they have the word as- asbestos in their name or otherwise specifically anti-fire. Then Doctor Strange has his adventures in the remaining pages. Initially, I thought I might not cover these stories at all, but the many covers of the Human Torch's adventures are delightfully silver age and very weird and generally too fun to just skip. So until we get out of anthologies, I'll also give brief recaps caps of the attached story in the issue. If you want to follow along reading, there's a couple ways. Probably the best is the Marvel Unlimited app, which for a monthly fee lets you read a huge swath of Marvel comics. Everything I'm recapping today is posted on Marvel Unlimited. There have also been reprinted a number of times in various collections, like the Essential Marvel I listed earlier, uh, Marvel Masterworks, and and an omnibus that Amazon is telling me will come out in October. One last thing before we start. Be aware, technically, Stephen Strange is Doctor Strange number two. Uh, there's an extremely minor Iron Man villain in Tales of Suspense number 41, where Tony Stark, still in the original made-by-hand-in-the-jungle, but now painted gold, Iron Man suit, invaded the stronghold of Doctor Strange. This was May of 1963, two months before Stephen Strange made his debut. Apparently they wanted a character named Strange to appear in the Strange Tale magazine, but Stanley worried that naming the character Mr. Strange would detract from the name value of Mr. Fantastic, Reed Richards of the Fantastic Four. They decided to change it to Doctor and gone to press when they realized the double name. And Lee seems to have just said, eh, I'm sure the kids will figure it out. Okay, preamble's out of the way. Vishanti be praised by the Crimson Bands of Sidorak. May the recaps commence. Strange Tales number 110, July 1963. 
The other story features a human torch being menaced by two trapped-themed villains, the wizard and Pacepot Pete. Let me just say that I love Pacepot Pete and got really sad when I saw he eventually changed his name to The Trapster. Pacepot Pete wears a green jumpsuit, bright blue gloves, and a floppy purple beret and glues people to things. He's excellent. Uh, like all Strange Tale entries we'll see this week, this story was written by Stan Lee and the artist is Steve Ditko. Uh, Terry Zenxies did the, did the lettering. The story's pretty basic. A uh, man is plagued by nightmares. He seeks the assistance of Doctor Strange, who takes the case after consulting with his master, the Ancient One, via astral projection. Uh, the Ancient One warns him of impending danger and reminds him of his magic amulet. Entering the man's dream, Strange sees that the man is haunted by guilt over people the man is wrong. Realizing that Strange now knows his guilt, the man awakes and is about to kill Strange, who's currently trapped in the dream world by the evil god of dream's nightmare, when the Ancient One activates Strange's magic amulet and both incapacitates the man and frees Strange from Nightmare in one fell swoop. The man says he'll confess his crimes and we're good to go. Uh, this is Strange's first appearance. Of course it'll be a little rough. Uh, Ditko's still figuring out how to draw Strange, who seems to be, like, Asian in this? A little bit? Uh, at the very least, his eyes are always closed and kind of tilted throughout the issue. A couple key things are seen in this issue. First is the, the Doc's ability to project his spirit out of his body, where it'll be able to tra travel at great speed and interact with people, and his ability to enter people's minds. Both of these will become important powers going forward, especially astral projection. Uh, the Ancient One also makes his appearance in this issue, and he's an important character in Doctor Strange. Right now, we just see him briefly in a monastery on the cliffside in the remote vastness of Asia. He's bald and bearded, but otherwise speaks good English and seems fairly unobjectionable. I gotta say, one of my big worries reading these old comics is that the Asian characters will be crazy Asian stereotypes, like a magic version of Mickey Rooney at Breakfast at Tiffany's. But luckily that doesn't seem to be the case, at least at this point. Uh, we also see a quick glance of Doctor Strange's manservant slash apprentice Wong, who appears for one panel. Alright, on to Strange Tales number 111 from August 1963. Uh, first off, the Human Torch fights Asbestos Man. Rather than waiting for cancer to run his course, uh, Johnny Storm drops a chandelier on his foe, then suffocates him by burning the oxygen around his head. Huzzah! Uh, this story, the story in this issue is called Face to Face with the Magic of Baron Mordo, again lettered by Terry Zenix. Uh, something of a note for this story, and the previous one is that they're calling him Doctor Strange Master of Black Magic, a title that would be lost after this issue or be used intermittently throughout the early parts of this series as they eventually move to Doctor Strange being master of more general mystic arts. Uh, this is a, a, another quick basic story. We meet the evil Baron Mordo with his excellent goatee and all green clothing as he plans to take out the Ancient One. Plan is simple. Astral project to the Ancient One's house, take control of the cook, poison the Ancient One's dinner. So simple, it just might work. And it does! All hope seems lost until Doctor Strange tries to telepathically contact the Ancient One and doesn't get an answer, justifiably fearing the worst. Doctor Strange... Astro projects the Ancient One's house where he finds Mordo cackling evilly. The two of them have a big astral form fist fight with classic Silver Age style dialogue, <laughs> i.e. where what they're saying would take way longer to say than the actions that we're seeing. It's all exposition about how Mordo used to be one of the 
used to be the ancient one's student and how magic is dangerous and if you die in your spirit form your body will die as well anyway like a lot of stories in this era it's resolved by dr strange realizing that he has his magic amulet which he uses to temporarily heal the ancient one and cause mordo to release control of the ancient one's servant Woo! Uh, we'll see mordo show up again and again as a foil for dr strange he's a good doctor's primary human foe and we won't see his big non-human foe until next week. Otherwise, there's not much to see besides the opening page where the Ancient One looks more like he's tired from eating Thanksgiving dinner instead of being poisoned, and some extremely solid self-narration from the Ancient One's servant. I must prepare powerful potion put in Master's food. That's good narrating. On to Strange Tales number 114 from November 1963. Note that we're two issues later than the last one as Marvel evaluated if Doctor Strange was good enough to go forward with. Apparently it was. In the interim, the Human Torch fought the Living Bomb, the Eel, and the Plant Man. In this issue, he fights Captain America. Well, actually, a, uh, a supervillain called the Acrobat dressed as Captain America. Steve Rogers wouldn't be fish out of an iceberg for another four months in the pages of Avengers number four in March of 1964. Our story is The Return of the Omnipotent Baron Mordo, and it's lettered by S. Rosen. Uh, Doctor Strange is called out to the house of Sir Clive Bentley, actually Mordo in disguise. Uh, when Strange arrives, he's trapped by magic candles. When the candles go out, the doctor will die. Oh no! Uh, Mordo shows up to gloat and then leave the room, as you do. Strange then magically reaches out to someone nearby to help him and finds the mind of Victoria Bentley, a young English woman with some latent magical ability. She shows up and puts out the candles, hooray! <laughs> Uh, she mentions that she's the daughter of Clive Bentley, who died years ago, and Doctor Strange puts one and two together. Mordo then re-enters the room and tries to force Strange to kill Victoria, but in a, in a kind of crazy plot twist, uh, Strange reveals that he's actually he's actually been a mental projection this whole time, and his physical body has only now arrived from the airport. I'm not sure if the mystic candles were actually a threat to his spirit form or what, but or what, but whatever. I guess uh, Strange and Mordo have a big mental battle, and Mordo makes his escape. Since both Strange and Mordo sensed Bentley's magical potential, she asked to become Strange's apprentice, but he says no, it would be too dangerous with Mordo on the loose. One of the interesting things we see in this issue is Doctor Strange asking the Ancient One not to help him in the fights against Mordo. In the previous issues, when Doctor Strange was in trouble, the Ancient One would show up and show the Doctor how to win, so it's nice to see the Strange on his own two feet. Victoria Bentley does eventually return in the pages of Strange Tale, but not until issue 160 in September 1967, when all kinds of crazy things are happening including uh, the, li the Living Tribunal, one of my faves. This is also the premiere of Doctor Strange's blue cloak, which he'll wear until he levels up in the Strange Tales number 127. Okay, Strange Tales number 115 from December 1963. Uh, the Human Torch dresses up like Spider-Man to call out and fight Sandman. Uh, it's the one with the green sweater, not the endless dream, but, you know, a, a guy can imagine. In answer to an avalanche of requests, we present the origin of Doctor Strange, lettered by S. Rosen. It's the often retold tale of a rich doctor who gets in a car accident, loses fine motor control of his hands, goes broke trying to get them fixed, travels to the east to find a mystic possibly able to heal him, and then eventually takes up magic. <laughs> Uh, Ditko is clearly having fun in the early parts of the story, as rich, mean Stephen Strange smokes arrogantly and blows people off, followed by an increasingly 
scruffy, destitute version of Stephen Strange looking for answers. One of the great parts is when the Ancient One yada yadas parts of Strange's story, like, very well, fine, you were broke, but, so, but somehow made your way to this mountaintop monastery, let's go! In this issue, we see Mordo still as an apprentice of the Ancient One, and some sweet evil spells he casts on both the Ancient One and Strange, including a crazy invisible iron clamp around Strange's mouth, with o which only appears when he tries to tell the Ancient One about Mordo's evil scheme. Uh, Strange apparently outthinks this obstacle by agreeing to be the Ancient One's pupil, at which point the Ancient One reveals that he knew Mordo was evil all the time, but that the Ancient One is a big believer in keeping your friends close and your enemies closer. Uh, there are better, more in-depth versions of Strange's origin story, I think, so I don't want to dwell on this one too much. This episode is also important because it starts to add the crazy names of gods and spells that'll be key a key part of the story going forward these include the vapors of valtor which attacked the ancient one the vashanti the dread dormammu and all-seeing agamato who the ancient one uses to protect himself and then mordo also prays to dormammu to gain power to do like evil stuff <laughs> basically just all general evil spells for the purposes of this comic. So on to Strange Tales number 116 from January 1964. This time, it's the Human Torch versus the Thing. Both are being controlled by the evil puppet master. Only Alicia, the Thing's blind girlfriend, can bring an end to the violence. Ben Grimm wears a purple trench coat in this, and it is pretty dope. Also, there's a lot of Wrecking Ball-based violence, which I am in favor of. In the back of the book, it's Return to the Nightmare World, lettered by Art Simic. It's a rematch between The Doc and Nightmare, last seen in issue 110. Still singing from his, from his previous defeat, Nightmare is scheming against Doctor Strange and the Ancient One. His plan is to trap people in the dream world and force Doctor Strange into single combat. Uh, in the real world, a New York cop and a medical doctor meet with Doctor Strange, and they tell him all about these people that are being stuck asleep. After some quick investigation, Doctor Strange casts a spell to guide him through the dream world to the spirits of the trapped people. He calls on the hosts of Hogoth to do so, which are my favorite. Woo! Uh, Strange enters the dream world in his spirit form, following a mystic pink path through the crazy landscapes therein. After some uh, problematic stuff where the path is broken, but Strange uses his sash for an Indian rope trick, he manages to free the trapped people. But when he does, Nightmare knocks Strange off the path and forces him to fight the deadly spiny beast, who is like a like a spiky magenta cat bug kind of thing. The nightmare moves forward with a mystic prod. Um, at this point, Nightmare starts monologuing, as, as you do. Uh, Doctor Strange manages to triumph with a blast from his amulet, which causes Nightmare to stab Spiny Beast with the prod, killing it. Oh no, Spiny Beast! With all that, Strange and the captive escape, and Nightmare swears revenge, so on and so forth. Strange Tales number 117 from February 1964. Human Torch rematches with the eel! At one point, the eel covers himself in asbestos grease so he can wrestle the torch. Um, at first, I was skeptical about the existence of asbestos grease, but some quick internet searches reveal that it's actually a, a real thing. Anyway, onwards to The Many Traps of Baron Mordo, lettered by S. Rosen. Spoiler alert, uh, there's two traps. Just two. Uh, first, kind of a diamond thing that traps Strange's physical body. And then when he escapes from that by going astral, kind of a mystic bell jar thing that traps him in astral form. Uh, Strange escapes the bell jar by flying out the bottom of it, which necessitates flying through the entire Earth. Like the bell jar goes all the way down, then stops the other surface on the other side. 
So pro tip for evil wizards, be sure to always have a bottom for your mystic bell jars. All right. This then leads to another confrontation between Strange and Mordo. That Strange manages to win, though apparently Mordo is getting more powerful. Uh, we're settling into some standard story beats here, so some of these Strange Tales re recaps might be going a little faster. <laughs> um, so we go to Strange Tales number 118 from March 1963. Human Torch fights the wizard. What was one thing or another, the wizard's handheld anti-gravity device malfunctions, and the wizard flies up and up, eventually disappearing, presumably to die cold and alone in the Earth's atm upper atmosphere. <laughs> Good times. The Possessed is the name of our tale, written by magical Stan Lee, drawn by mystical Steve Ditko, lettered by mysterious Sam Rosen. The story starts with Doctor Strange using what will eventually be called the Eye of Agamotto, but is now known as my earthly scanner to look for trouble spots around the world. He finds evil in the Bavarian Alps, where quaint European vi villagers are being taken over, uh, possessed if you will, by an unknown force. Doctor Strange shows up and starts eye-lasering the possessed to find out their secrets. It turns out that everyone's being taken over by a bunch of aliens. They have green skin, mouth tentacles, and the ability to astral project. They're hiding in a camouflage cube out in the forest, you know, as you do. One of, the, one of the aliens tries to take over Doctor Strange, but is unable to because Doctor Strange has left his body behind while he was astral projecting. And now he's going to uh, to interrogate the alien using various magics, again, as you do. After a brief inter interlude where a classic pitchfork-wielding Eastern European mob, riled up by the possessed, uh, tries to kill him, Strange eventually finds his way to the alien ship where he and the head alien have a staring contest, which Doctor Strange manages to win, despite the fact that the alien cheated by wearing a suit of magic rock armor to protect him. Uh, the aliens leave for the own, their own dimension, saying they'll never return, and Doctor Strange double down on, doubles down on this by magically sealing reality so that the possessor shall menace mankind no more. Uh, they'll be back in Doctor Strange Sorcerer Supreme 27 in 1991. Strange then decides to not fill the villagers in on what happened, preferring they stay mired in myth and superstition. He literally says that, <laughs> which is fair, I suppose. I mean, you got to get these mobs from somewhere. Uh, next is Strange Tales number 119 from April 1964. It's the Human Torch versus the Rabble Rouser. At first I thought this guy might be like a, a, a proto-hippie, but his strong brow and crazy mustache mark him as a common Bolshevik. Uh, Torch turns the Rouser's power upon him, using the Rabble Rouser's own mesmerizer to brainwash him into loving America forever. Huzzah! Doctor Strange dares to go beyond the purple veil. Story conjured by, up by Stan Lee, illustrated by the strange sorcery of Steve, Steve Ditko, lettered at midnight by Art Smack. Uh, not directly related to Prince, but, you know, we'll see. Okay, so Doctor Strange has acquired the sweet purple gem, which he is investigating magically. Meanwhile, a pair of thieves are breaking into the Sanctum Sanctorum. Strange senses them, though, and banishes out of the house through the wall. The next night, they, take, they make another attempt, this time grabbing the purple gem, despite it giving off a looming sense of doom. When Strange realizes that the gem is missing, he quickly finds the thieves, but when he catches up to them in his physical form, he sees they have been sucked into the gem's mysterious alternate dimension, and Strange has no point but to give chase. Note that while he's looking for the thieves, Strange swears by the beards of the Vishanti, and FYI, when they're revealed, uh, none of the Vishanti actually have beards, just so you know. Inside the gem, we see a bunch of people, including the thieves, led around as slaves. Doctor Strange pulls the usual uh, take-me-to-your-leader thing and is brought to Agamon, 
the all-powerful. He kidnaps people to work in his mind here in his dimension. Beyond the purple veil. Doctor Strange offers to become a slave in the thieves' place. And once they are returned to Earth, Strange challenges Agamon to a wizard's duel. He agrees. And it's duel time! Uh, the fight takes the form of one of those uh, dueling power streams things where two people shoot like their beams at each other and there's a tug of war between them. I just saw them do it with Storm's lightning and Cyclops' eye beams in X-Men Apocalypse and it's a pretty standard in most situations where two people have beams. You know what I'm talking about. This particular beam fight is kind of interesting because instead of the usual outcome where one opponent manages to outbeam the other, this fight is about endurance. Uh, we see the fight over three panels and apparently it takes hours. By the end, Agamon is, is straight up just sitting down, barely able to stay away. He eventually forfeits. Strange, Strange winning the fight forces Agamon to release his slaves and not get any new ones and then returns to Earth. He soon finds out that the thieves have turned themselves in and demand her to be punished. So all's well that ends well. Uh, Strange keeps the purple gem in case he needs it later. This is kind of an important story for Doctor Strange as it's explicitly mentioned in uh, the Electric Kool-Aid Acid Test. Uh, Tom Wolfe found a serene Ken Kesey sitting... Uh, quote, for hours on end reading comic books, absorbed in the plunging purple Steve Ditko shadows of Doctor Strange, attired in capes and chiascuro, saying, How could they have known that this gem was merely a device to bridge dimensions? It was a means to enter the dread purple dimension from our own world. Sandy may wander off the bus, but it remains all keezy. Doctor Strange. Let's go to Strange Tales number 120 from May 1964. The Human Torch and Iceman team up to fight pirates. Uh, the X-Men were still very new at this point, and this issue comes out at the same time as X-Men number 5. Iceman is still more of a snowman at this point, though he's no longer wearing the galoshes he was wearing when the team first appeared. Interestingly, at no point do the two heroes assume the other is a villain, causing them to fight each other. I guess this trope didn't exist yet? Okay, Doctor Strange, now master of the mystic arts, is In the House of Shadows, written at midnight by Stan Lee, drawn by Candlelight by Steve Ditko, lettered at Twilight by S. Rosen, in a cottage on the outskirts of the city, which I wasn't aware that New York really had but maybe it's in Long Island or something. It, it, it's definitely somewhere walkable from Greenwich Village. Anyway, um, there's an episode of proto-Ghost Hunters being filmed where TV, where TV guys are going to go into a haunted house and see what happens. There's a big crowd, and Doctor Strange stands on its outskirts. The reporter goes in the house and immediately sees a bunch of crazy ghost stuff, floating gas lamps, swirling mists, then something you can't describe, and the TV feed goes dead. Strange rushes into the house, sees the same ghostly stuff, but, but protects himself using his various spells, including calling on the moons of Munipur, eventually forcing the monster to reveal itself. And it's a house! The whole dang house is a trans-dimensional monster that eats people who walk into it. Strange rescues the reporter and then sends the house back to the evil dimension from which it came. He does this in front of a whole crowd, but they assume they did it with smoke and mirrors and stuff because they are mundane fools! Or whatever, I guess. Uh, note that the House of Shadows will return to the Marvel Universe 16 years later when as encountered by Rom Space Knight. So be on the lookout for that, I guess. Uh, Strange Tales number 121, June 1964. The Human Torch encounters the Plant Man, where apparently the Plant Man's knowledge of gardening techniques allow him to keep the torch watered long enough that he can't flame on. Also, there's a tree that shoots acorns like a machine gun. Nice. 
In the back half, it's Witchcraft in the Wax Museum by Stan Lee, King of Suspense, Steve Ditko, Master of the Macabre, and Art Simek, Prince of the Lettering Pen. Mordo tricks Doctor Strange into astral projecting, then steals Strange's body. Oh no! We find out that if you're away from your body for more than 24 hours, you can never return to it. So the race is on! Strange searches for his body, fighting ectoplasmic allies of Baron Mordo and other traps as he does. With one hour to spare, he arrives at Mordo's old hideout and then tracks him to his new one, a crazy wax museum. Strange's body is there, under a force field, with Mordo gloating over it. Strange takes possession of a wax model of Genghis Khan and beats up Mordo, forcing him to enter his astral form. They then have a magic battle that Doctor Strange seems to actually lose, but actually that's like a double that Doctor Strange had created specifically to lose the fight, while he both creates a force field around Mordo's abandoned body, and Mordo tires himself out enough, killing the double, that he drops this shield on Strange's body. It's, it's a whole thing. Uh, Strange now leaves Mordo's body in the Wax Museum, telling him that the force field will, we will wear off after 23 hours, and that Mordo should take this time to think about being such a dick. Well, officially um, on the uselessness of an evil life, but the dick part is implied. Uh, Alright, so here's the big one. Fantastic Four number 27, June 1964. Crossover event! The Search for the Submariner, presented by the most talked-about team in comics, Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, author and illustrator extraordinary, inked by George Bell, lettered by S. Rosen. Uh, so a quick thing about the Fantastic Four, it's the classic team here, uh, Reed, Mr. Fantastic Richards, Sue, Invisible Woman Storm, Ben, The Thing, Grimm, and our old buddy Johnny, Human Torch Storm. If FF continuity is important to you. We're still two years away from Galactus, and Sue learned how to create force fields with her powers about five issues ago. Uh, this week, they're up against Namor, the former Golden Age hero that now alternates between good guy and bad guy as the whims strike him. Uh, Powers-wise, he's basically a cool version of Aquaman with more flying and less fish-talking. Uh, we'll talk a lot more about Namor later when he and Doctor Strange found the Defenders along with a few other of the Marvel Universe's top jerks. For now, we're focusing on the fact that Namor is king of the undersea empire and that he is in love with Sue Storm. Uh, the comic opens with Reed showing off some inventions and Namor vowing to kidnap Sue and bring her back to be his bride. His subjects reject this as being creepy and leave, so Namor has to go alone. He puts on his best forest green shirt and, uh, and bright blue hat, heads to the Baxter building where he proceeds to wreck up the place and knock out Ben and Johnny and hit Sue with knockout gas and then escape to his flying car. Reed was away from the building buying Sue dun 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 an engagement ring. Now he learns Sue has been kidnapped and he is pissed. After a few minutes of raging out, Reed comes to his senses and tells the boys he's gonna find Namor and settle his hash once and for all. Johnny and Ben are a little worried because the worst case is either Reed or Namor being killed. They decide to reach Namor first. But how? They don't have the technical hocus pocus to find people. Wait, hocus pocus? I think I know a guy! That's literally the thought process in the story. Uh, Johnny uses his flames to skywrite a message to Doctor Strange, and Strange comes running. Or, I mean, flying in his astral form. Same difference, I guess. He quickly finds Mr. Fantastic in Namor's throne room, about to beat up Namor. Strange rushes back to, to, to the boys as super violence ensues in Atlantis. Uh, Strange teleports the thing in Human Torch there, and at this point, there's a lot of fighting and Fantastic Four stuff, a lot of describing what you're doing as you do it, some light character development, all over awesome Jack Kirby fight scenes. Well, with one thing and another, the Fantastic Four 
win the fight and try to convince Namor to stop being such a dang creeper. But sensing that Namor is about to have some kind of incredible, scorned for the first time super freak out, Doctor Strange teleports them back to the Fantastic Sub, and they sub their way back to the mainland. Note that Sue's attempt to let a rampaging, super-powered king down easy has shaken Reed's faith in their relationship down to its very core, but because it's the Silver Age, everyone decides to bottle up their feelings and not talk about it. Uh, good times once again. Strange Tales, number 122, July 10th, 1964. Human Torch versus the Terrible Trio. There are threesome of Doctor Doom adjacent henchmen, and they want to earn brownie points by taking out Johnny. It goes poorly for them, although an asbestos rope, blanket, and an entire asbestos-used trailer is, is used in the process, and I'm a big fan of random asbestos things being used in Human Torch comics, basically. Meanwhile, Doctor Strange goes to The World Beyond, featuring Nightmare, written with a touch of sorcery by Stan Lee, drawn with a dash of necromancy by Steve Ditko, and lettered with a number six pen by Art Simek. I'm not gonna lie, this issue is hard to recap for verbally. Basically, what happens is Doctor Strange falls asleep, a nightmare kidnaps him, and shows him all the terrible things he'll do to Strange now that he's a prisoner. Uh, Strange escapes by summoning the Gogola, a big monster that is the one that is the one foe nightmare fears, for he never sleeps. Uh, turns out it's illusion, but a good enough one to allow Strange to escape the dream world, Nightmare Swearing Revenge. Uh, what's tough about recapping this issue is that the best parts are really the insane Ditko dreamscapes that fill up the page. Stairways to nowhere, huge fields of multicolor spiderwebs, the massive armor of chains that Nightmare puts on Strange for a while. It's all very cool and trippy. I definitely recommend you seek out this issue just for the visuals. Uh, and that wraps up our series for today. These Silver Age comics are kind of fun because they managed to tell a decent story in a short time between five and nine pages. Still, I'm looking forward to next week as the writing team finds its feet and we start getting some more multi-issue storylines. First with some Thor and Loki stuff, and then the first confrontation with Dread Dormammu himself. Uh, before I go, I'd like to give a few thanks and shout-outs. First, the extremely excellent Doctor Strange fan site at neilalien.com, which provides a lot of great info for Doctor Strange, including the Many Faces of Doctor Strange article, which I borrowed heavily from for the logo picture. I'd also like to give a few shout-outs to some podcasts that have really inspired me me and helped me to start this broadcast. Jay and Miles explain the X-Men, movie trailer reviews, I don't even own a television, and of course the Black Guy or Tips. Thank you so much to everyone. Um, until then, I'll leave you with the ending narration box from Strange Tales number 122, which I think is nicely appropriate for what this podcast is setting out to do. Hark to these words, loyal reader. One day, many years hence, you will proudly relate these Doctor Strange tales to a new generation, a generation that will envy the fact that you were privileged to have read the earliest of these trend-setting tales. More next issue. Until then, my name is Conrad, and this is Stranger by the Dozen. May the Vishanti guide you!